It's that lunchroom chatter podcast, you know Well, you sit up and think about fucking your girl's best friend But you can't because your girl's a fighter and she'll fuck you up This that lunchroom chatter podcast Where you lay up and think about being a porn star But you can't because you come too quick So you gotta eat the pussy for 95 minutes Mmm, that kind of shit This that lunchroom chatter podcast Where you in bed at night thinking about beating your meat But you can't because you live with your mama and she bust in the room and said, bitch, get the fuck up. Mama, why you ain't knock on the door first? This that kind of shit. Where you can be yourself, where you can relax, where you could put yourself into the mind of another nigga. So stay tuned. Let's get this shit popping. Lunchroom Shadow Podcast, baby. Let's clap it up, man. I want to clap it up, not for me. But for you guys, man, last week I released Surviving Trauma Part 1, and you guys loved it. Now, I was scared, because with so much, quote-unquote, toxic or negative news that goes on in the world and on social media, a lot of the time, that is what I cover. So when I thought about, you know what, I think it'd be great to dedicate an entire four to five weeks talking about surviving trauma. Whether it be relationships, family trauma, or trauma in other ways. So the fact that you guys took to last week's episode so well, we are back with a part two, baby. Yes, sir. Now, like I said, when I make these episodes, man, I hope these episodes make a difference because that was my biggest fear with starting the podcast was the fact that I was thinking, damn, like, 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 what if I invest so much time into this podcast and releasing these episodes, but I don't make the kind of difference I want to make. But seeing how things have gone, especially, well, let's go back to the beginning for a second. Now, when I think when I released the first four to five episodes, nobody was listening. Like first episode I had about the first week I released that I had about three to four people listen. I'm like, fuck, ain't nobody going to listen. I don't know if I'm making a difference, but then I stopped checking the numbers. Now, it was a couple months back. I got in a, a email. Yo, congratulations for going over 10,000 listens. I'm like, oh, shit. So when I stopped checking the numbers and I kept going online, having real conversations. And again, thank you guys for sharing the podcast because it has helped the growth tremendously. And. That is why I want, I've taken the time to have this whole month dedicated towards surviving trauma. Because while this segment or this series is helping myself, I also wanted to help you guys. Again, some of the men and women out there who listen, I'm sure are in situations right now like this. And that is why we have the surviving trauma I want to, I found a song by my guy, Jonas. He's a talented artist from the Bronx, New York, and it's called Anniversary. And this song fits so well with the surviving trauma because it's about realizing that you have to put yourself first, love yourself, let go of the toxic energy. I don't care if you did it yesterday, if you do it today, or if you do it soon, let go of that energy. And next year, you can celebrate the anniversary and many more of when you finally realize that it is okay to put yourself first. This is my guy, Jonas.
This is Anniversary. I'm back to loving myself For so many years I've given all that shit to somebody else It's crazy what you do when you fear being alone Had to walk away from feeling like I wasn't enough on my own I was tired of you To the things that are bad for my health Like whiskey and fucking up and blaming that shit on somebody else 3 a.m. walking and stumbling home I just wonder if maybe you would be better off if I was gone I was tired of you my guy Jonas again with happy anniversary now before I get into everything I got planned today man if you are out there and you are in an abusive relationship you guys can go to the national domestic violence hotline they have a website it is called the hotline.org and you can create a safety plan now what a safety plan is a safety plan is a set of actions that can help lower your risk of being hurt by your partner it includes information specific to your your life that will increase your safety at school, home, and other places you go to on a daily basis. Because if you are in a relationship with somebody who is toxic 
or someone you are leaving, now you increase your chances of being hurt, especially when you decide to walk away. Because when you walk away, like we all have heard the phrase, if I can't have you, then no one can. Like that's not a phrase that people say for fun. Like that is a serious phrase to where if if you are in a relationship that is toxic and you hear that phrase, even before it gets to that point, you should be worried. But if you hear that phrase, baby, if I can't have you, then no one will. Now, that's pretty self-explanatory. But what that means is if you leave me, I'm going to kill you because I, if I can't have you, I'm not going to let you go to another man. That is why, again, it is very important to create a safety plan. Now, how do you make a safety plan? Now, again, you guys can go to the hotline.org. They have every they have a whole interactive guide with, that you can use to create a safety plan, man, please. And again, I want you guys to really use this method. If you are in a relationship that is abusive, like don't be shy. Don't feel embarrassed because they have everything on the safety plan on the website. They have the, um, the basics um, from home, school, job, technology, partner. If you got kids and based on the information you enter, if you enter it truthfully, they will give you a detailed plan and suggestions as well as telephone numbers of what you can do to keep yourself safe. Now, like I said, when I started the episode, man, like trauma is not just relationships. Like sometimes trauma can be family trauma. Now, I've heard on social media many times before, yo, John, like, you post a lot of stuff, but why don't you post a lot of family? Now, I don't suppose I don't post a lot of family things because I have had family trauma when I was younger. Now, I wouldn't be, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So, of course, I have to divulge information about myself because those of you guys who have been here since day one now, a lot of y'all caught on to the podcast after, but. My mom was adopted at birth, as many of you guys know. Um, I don't know my father. He left when I was about one and a half to two years old. And so, again, the only, the only family I knew growing up was my mom, my brother, my sister, and my grandmother, who was my mom's adoptive mom. So I didn't really know a lot of family on my mom's side. But when my my mom was pregnant with my sister, I believe in 1996, I was seven years old and my brother was about nine or 10 years old. This happened in 1996. And, you know, the fact that we didn't have a lot of family, my mom, Shane, have many people to watch us. So she was like, oh, yo, you have um, you have a cousin on my grandma's side, which was again, which is my mom's adoptive mom. You have a cousin and she has a husband. So you and your brother are going to stay there with her when I go into labor. And we stayed there for about a week and he abused us. Like not sexually, but physically. And ever since that time, I distanced myself from all family on the adoptive side. Now, 
it could have been good or bad because I'm sure that there may have been some people on my mom's adoptive side who really cared, who were thoughtful. But sometimes a bad experience can turn you off from everybody. It's like when you go into Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts and you have a bad experience at the at the front desk, at customer service, at the cashier. And it could really be some great workers that work there. But once you have that initial bad experience, it turns you off from everybody. I mean, we used to be, you know, me and my brother stayed there. I remember one time we took the train to Brooklyn. We was going to this building and, you know, we was looking up, looking around. And I remember he smacked me in the face and he punched my brother in the back of the head. And he said, look at the ground. So the whole time we walking, we looking at the ground. And that shit happened all the fucking time. Like the whole fucking weekend. Like I remember like telling my mom after the fact, your mom, ma, we're not going back to the mall, man. He hit us. Now, shame believe us. Again, I'm seven. My brother's nine. This is a cousin and her husband that she's known forever. Now, here you have us meeting them for the first time. And now we're saying, yo, he hit us. And our cousin, which was his wife, she ain't do shit to stop it. And she ain't believe us. Now, over time, as the years went on and she used to go over there and I just never went. I th- I think that's when she began to realize, OK, so there's some truth to it. But. I wasn't lying. Ooh, you a lie. And I think that that's that's a that plays a huge part. In the family dynamic, especially amongst African-American families where. Now, let's go to sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, molestation. That happens a lot in black families. But. When your child comes to you and says something happened, don't brush it off, because, yes, this may be somebody who you've known for a long time, somebody who you think you trust, somebody who you think is loyal to you and the family and has the best interest at heart. But sometimes you can know somebody for 10, 20 years and not know them at all. So again, trauma comes in all forms, family relationships. It could be work depending on what's happening at work. So don't just think it's strictly relationship wise, man. But, um, I want to get into a story of a woman who survived domestic abuse, man. After years of escalating violence, her name is Ajoa Iyeku. She said that she finally decided to leave her partner when he strangled her. Now, for the first time, she is calling herself a survivor. Now, again, warning, this video contains graphic and disturbing content, but I feel like it is necessary, especially because there's a part where where she speaks about leaving and being made to feel guilty to where she returned to her partner. And that is the issue too. Like when you get the strength to walk away, make sure you got all the strength. Like don't have the strength to walk away. And then somebody say, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen again. I was wrong. And now you think that they had an epiphany and that they magically changed. They have not changed. They are strictly saying what you want to hear to keep you there. But listen to this story again. This is, this story is from CBS news. This is the story of domestic 
abuse survivor, Ajoa Ieku. And I hope I'm not messing up her name. I'm not doing it on purpose, I promise. But listen to the story. Hmm. <laughs> I'm a survivor. I don't think I've said that out loud. It was late, late 2014, early 2015 that I met my former partner. We were introduced by family members from either side. It started off very on the surface, like very much a love story. We had a lot of fun. Um, so many similarities. Um, he didn't live here. He actually lived in the States. So it was a lot of like back and forth visiting, which was great too. In the beginning, it was psychological and emotional. So I would say things like, like we'd get into a huge argument and then I'd just be like, it's too much for me. I, I don't want to be in the relationship anymore. And it would literally call my phone like a hundred times in a row 100 to, to dial somebody's number 100 times in a row is ridiculous over and over and over and over and over again and I'd start to feel like oh my god like I'm such a monster this poor guy like he wants to work it out this and that whatever so the emotional and the psychological was common and that was like maybe like for the first two years and so it didn't really feel like what I'd term as abuse when he actually came here, moved here, that's when the physical started. And that's when I started to see, like, this is crazy. I realized that it was, uh, it was going to, it was either going to be me or him in the sense that if I didn't leave, I wouldn't be around. It was like year three that when the physical started just you know shoving and stuff like that and I and I definitely don't want to come across as so victimized that I never defended myself I would shove right back like and I in shock like somebody you love like putting like putting your their hands on you like what are you doing right but then very quickly it progressed into things like being choked against a wall there was even a point where he tackled me like a football player and he's a big guy. And I would never un wish on my worst enemy the feeling of somebody's hands on your neck and looking at somebody who has proclaimed that they love you but is literally jeopardizing your life. I never had real sincere thoughts of truly leaving until the physical abuse began because that's when it was, it was my wake-up call. Yeah, it was my wake-up call. It was an entire turning point in my life. 2019 <laughs> was the year that broke me, but it was also the year that blessed me with a strength that I earned. I'm grateful to say I'm in a, I'm in a great space right now. Very grateful to say that because some women will never get to say that. It's a difference between literal life and death. And I would advise women to choose life. Do whatever you need to do to survive. Yeah, be strong. But don't stay. Don't stay. I want to clap it up one more time, man. Like she said, 
Like sometimes in those situations, it is literally life or death. And as she so eloquently ended it with, she said, don't stay. Like I know sometimes like you may be scared to be alone, but sometimes being alone and healing from the ending of that relationship is better than staying in a relationship where you are no longer wanted, where you are no longer appreciated, where you are no longer treated as the king or queen that you deserve to be. Now, you know, we, in this world now, we idolize celebrities. You know, celebrities are, what do we call them on social media? Oh, our couple's goals. Oh, I want a relationship like T.I. and Tiny. Everybody said that until we realized he was cheating on Tiny. He was doing some other shit. Caught on tape cheating on Tiny. But a, um, a prominent one back in the day that people, I, I, I heard so many women say this shit. I want a relationship like Chris Brown and Rihanna. Oh my God. They, they look so good together. They are so beautiful. Not realizing that they had a toxic relationship. This is not me saying this. This is what they both admitted that their relationship was toxic. It was volatile. But the pictures you guys seen were smiling. Oh, they're hugged up. Oh, 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 I want that. You got to be careful. Like I said last week, be careful when you say that because if you want that relationship, you may be asking for a toxic relationship. But we're going to take a quick break and I want to come back. I want to play a quick segment where Chris Brown, he kind of opened up and spoke about that relationship. And Rihanna did as well. Because, again, I'm not bringing this back up to say cancel Chris Brown because I believe that when you're young, people can change. I mean, yes, when you're older too, everybody is capable of change. You know, I understand that. But... I want to use this situation because this was really the first situation in like the newer generation where we got to see her scars. Like everybody knows the aftermath picture of Rihanna's face. But to hear them open up and talk about how toxic their relationship was. I feel like I, I got to play it for you guys, man. And also um, I have an interview that I've done. This interview was a couple months old. It was a Zoom interview where I interviewed my good friend Tina. And she opened up and spoke about a past relationship that she was in that was abusive, that brought down her self-worth. But eventually she got the strength to walk away when she realized she deserved more. So we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to get right back into it, man. Again, this is Surviving Trauma Part 2. Again, let your friends know. Share the podcast. Stay tuned in. But again, let your friends know. It is free. If you like the podcast, you enjoy the content, the topics talked about, and you just think the podcast is dope, share the podcast, man. Don't keep it to yourself. Share the podcast so we can keep growing as a family. I'll be back. Thank you.
Welcome back, man, to the LCP Lunchroom Chatter Podcast. Again, this is Surviving Trauma Part 2. Now, before we took that break, I said I want to play a quick little interview segment where Chris Brown and Rihanna both opened up about their relationship being toxic. And to give Chris Brown, I don't want to give him, say give him credit, but the fact that he admitted to the fact that he did abuse Rihanna, that goes a huge way in actually working on yourself because like I said I'm not going to say an abuser can't change but if they don't realize something is wrong and that a man or woman who is abusing their spouse or even family members like if you don't admit that there's a problem then it's tough to find the solution to that the same thing as if if you are in a relationship that is abusive and you don't see it as okay He's hitting me. He's abusing me. If you don't see that as an issue, then that becomes your new normal. And that is not what we want. That is not what I want. And, I, and I, I'm sure that is not what you want. But this is a quick segment where Chris Brown details the Rihanna assault. You guys may have seen it on his documentary, but this is Chris Brown talking about the toxic relationship that they had when the public thought their relationship was great. It was beautiful. It was couples goals, but little did we know. I felt like a monster. Chris Brown is opening up about the 2009 incident with Rihanna while on their way to the Grammys. She grabs my nuts. And when she, when she do that, I actually, I bite her, I bite her arm. I think as I'm driving, I'm still trying to drive. And it's just, it's just like a petty, like, stupid fight. Brown was found guilty of felony assault. I remember she tried to kick me. It's like just her just being upset. But then I really hit her. Like, I, I, like I, with a closed fist, like I punched her. You know, and it uh, busted her lip. And when I saw it, I was in shock. I was like, why the hell did I hit her like? So from there... She's just spit in my face, like spit the blood in my face. In a new documentary, Chris Brown, Welcome to My Life, the Grammy winner claimed there was a history of violence in their relationship. It would be verbal fights, physical fights as well, mutual sides, and this is the first time I get to say anything. And like I said, I still love Rihanna. In 2012, Rihanna opened up to Oprah about her feelings towards Chris after the incident. He was the love of my life. He was the first love. And I see that he loved me the same way. The couple reunited for a short time in 2014, but the relationship didn't last. Now, as you guys heard right there on that clip, like, like, like I always say, I've said this going back weeks, you know, episode months back last year on the podcast that, you know, don't be fooled by the facade. Don't be fooled by the perception. Like, don't let yourself be fooled because it is easy to come online and post the positives, to post the, oh, you know, look at me and my man. Look at me and my girl. We amazing. We great. Now, I have a, I remember about four to five years ago, y'all know I live in Atlanta, where I hiked to um, to the top of Stone Mountain with a female friend. Now, as we hiked to the top of the mountain, she was telling me about her boyfriend and how you know, they got into an argument one day and he pulled out a gun on her. You know, he threatened to kill her. And it, re- it was um, a relationship that was real toxic. And as she was telling me, I was like, why are you still with him? 
And y'all know what she told me? She said, because that's not who he really is. I'm like, did he pull out a gun on you? She said, yeah. Then I said, that's who he really is. But then she came out with an excuse and she said, yeah, but he pulls out, he pulled out the gun on me because, you know, we, we got into an argument and I said something that was hurtful. And I'm like, okay, and she was like, yeah, so I have to learn to control my emotions when we argue. And I'm like, so he doesn't like, again, if you are in a relationship with somebody, yes, words hurt. Yes, sometimes when you argue, even in healthy relationships, sometimes during an argument, we say shit we don't mean because like <laughs> I've been here before. Like, like we all try to get that low blow. Like if we <laughs> in an argument with our spouse and we feel like we losing, then sometimes we try to pop, pop, we try to go lower and, and like hit you with that little low blow. Like, for example, and like, I'm not trying to be funny, but I seen a story. Well, it was a a TV show where a woman like she had breasts and like her left breast was normal size and her right size breasts. It was like it was it was kind of messed up. It was, you know, it wasn't the same size. And during the argument, you know, she was saying some shit. You know, she was killing him. You little dick. You can't fuck you nut quick. He said, that's why your titties ain't the same size, bitch. And like, when he said that, it hurt her. And I'm like, and like, that's what I mean when I say that people try to get the low blow. So sometimes like during arguments, we use what the other person told us, you know, in confidence, we use that whether outside or inside to insult the other person, but it does not give that person the right to pull out a gun on you. It doesn't. It doesn't. And that is why I tell you guys to be safe. And it's I'm looking for a, a video right now because, like I said, these domestic abuse stories, they're endless. I can go online all day typing woman killed by spouse. And it'll give me endless content. And it sucks that we are even at this place that where I can type that shit in and it's going to be content forever. But here's another story, man, of a woman who was killed by her husband. Again, I'm not trying to open up trauma, but I, I, I just want you guys to understand. I just want to hammer into you guys head that this shit is real. It's not some shit we see in the movies, some uh, like some shit we see on on social media, on VH1 reality shows. It is reality for a lot of women. This is from KTNV Channel 13, Las Vegas. We lost one of our friends, one of our family members. She was one of the best people you would ever have met. We are getting our first look at the woman police say was fatally gunned down by her husband. And here are the other three victims, the couple's young children, ages 9, 14, and 15. 13 Action News reporter Masa Saidi is live right now at Lake Mead and Jones, where a memorial will be held tonight. Masa. 
Patricia, the woman who found Pukeo, tells me she was laying here where you see a growing memorial. They tried to do CPR, but it was too late. Police say in her final moments she could be seen running through traffic as her husband chased her with a gun. Tonight, those closest to her are mourning four innocent lives. Her little babies were her life. She did everything for those kids and they knew it. Police haven't said who he shot first, his wife Pukeo or the couple's three precious children. We know the 35-year-old mom was chased, dragged out of a car and ultimately gunned down as she ran away. Tonight, her work family feeling so much pain, holding on to each other in disbelief. I thought, wait, what? Like, and I said, no, like, it can't. No. I wish I could have talked to her just one more time to see if there was something I could have done. It's going to be hard not working with her anymore. Very hard. Hard to forget how she died, but they want to remember how she lived. Despite a messy divorce, friend Allison Wall says... You never knew, like, if she was having a bad day, she would come in and be like, hey, hey. Spunky, fun, and oh so little, Pukeo would hide in the cabinet when another stylist opened the door. Originally from Ohio, she was a big basketball fan. She was going to marry LeBron. Everybody knew it. But what about her husband, the man who police say did the unthinkable? Did you know him? Yes. We met him several times. And coming up, we're going to tell you what they thought of him and mm. how this victim tried to escape the husband. Mm -mm -mm. Reporting live, Masa Saidi, 13 Action News. Masa, As you see right there, like I said, and that is why I opened this episode by telling you guys the website to where you guys can get a safety plan in order to leave. Now, even with a safety plan, things may still get deadly. And the thing I don't like is that when a lot of women get in order of protection, it's like, yes, the person is uh, supposed to not go near you, but police don't really enforce that shit because if they say, okay, you know, you can't be within 3000 feet of, let's say Bianca, like there's nothing stopping you from going, you know, within those, those restrictions. Somebody can have out an order of protection against me and I can still knock on your door because they just have to hope that I follow what the paper says under the threat of possibly going to jail. It don't mean I'm a listen. And that's the scary part. Now, I want to play you guys, you know, an interview that I did with my with one of my good friends, Tina. Now, we met on social media and meeting her on social media, you know, we bonded over the fact that we dealt with depression, you know, in the past and still sometimes currently to where sometimes it just kicks in. Now, a lot of that can, a lot of that is due to trauma as well, but I want to find a part in this interview. Let me segment it to where, hold on. We're going to find the part in real time. Hold on. I mean, we're going to get this shit proper. I had no self-worth. I had no self-esteem. Yeah, we're going to go back. Okay. Like I said, I, this interview was when she um, spoke about a, a past relationship that she was in and how it brought down her self-esteem, her self-worth, and ultimately how she found the strength to leave when she realized that, you know, a relationship like that wasn't worthy. But um, she also mentions the fact that family 
family life, you know, past situation with her mom and just things like that played the part into why she might have sought out those relationships, even though it may not have been the healthiest. But two years though, Jesus, that's, that's a long time to go through that. And see like, like situations like that, like that plays a part in bringing down your happiness, your self-esteem and making you not love. Let's go back. Like I said, I'm trying to find the accurate part in real time. Verbally and mentally abusive. Was for- oh, okay. We're getting close. I can't keep going through this. Like what realized it was time to leave because a lot of women stay. Mm, here we go. We're getting close. Like I said, I could pause this and chop this shit up, but nah, I want you guys to sit here with me in real time so you guys can see how I make these episodes. This is real time. Here we go. I'm beating your ass. Okay, it's time for me to go because one of these days, I feel like I'm going to wind up beating their ass. <laughs> but let me not. Have you ever been in a relationship that was abusive? Oh, yes. Yes. Wow. Abusive in what way, though? Which way would you like to focus? <laughs> I mean, with abuse, it could be mentally and physically. It could be forms of both um, at that point. So was yours yeah. mentally or was it abuse like physically? I'm trying to be, you know, understanding. All three. It. Yeah. All three. All three. <laughs> now, like I, I said, going back to the podcast, like like I spoke about that or even, you know, back in the past, like, like when did you yeah. realize it was time to leave? Because a lot of women stay and they, you know, they just stay and they end up you know, going through more abuse. So like, when did you realize, okay, enough is enough. It's time for me to leave. I can't keep going through this. Like what made you leave? Mm. Cause some don't leave. Some That's don't leave at all. Answer. That's a hard thing to answer, to be honest with you. Cause the longest that I've stayed with someone that's, that was verbally and mentally abusive was for two years. Two I mean, but, years. I mean, but two years, it just depends because, like, sometimes, like, someone's abusive side doesn't come out right away. So, like, within oh, no, those two years... Oh, his was, like, immediately? His was, like, within the first two months. And I, What was your age, though? What was your age? Because I feel like age plays a part in you staying. Because, like, when you're young, you like you think that, like, that, like, that toxic behavior is love. So, oh, it's just, goodness. it depends on your age. Were you in... Were you, oh, yeah, that's young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's young. Yeah, 20. Oh, my God. I remember him calling me piece of shit and everything. And every time that I would make, like, a little statement of how I'm feeling in such a way, mm-hmm. he would automatically go military mode on me. He was a military guy on top of that. So that amplified everything. Was he older or was he around the, um, the same age you were? Around the same age as I was. I think two years older. But two years, though, Jesus, that's that's a long time to go through that. And see, like like situations like that, like that plays a part in bringing down your happiness, your self-esteem and making you not love yourself. Because if you got to go through two years of like being belittled, you know, being spoken down upon, like that can bring down your mental health a lot. Most definitely. I was at the lowest point in my life and it got Mm -hmm. to the point where I did spiral after that. Um, I went through a whole phase where I'm like, okay, I'm clearly good for nothing else other than um, intercourse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was that route. I had no self-worth. I had no self-esteem. I just separated myself from anybody that could wow. stabilize me. Yeah. Anyone that could get my mind. Let's pause it right there because a lot of women have have done that before. And I've seen it firsthand where... Like a woman may be in a situation that's toxic, 
But like she is so scared to reach out out of just fear of letting her family and friends know that the relationship that I portray to you guys as being healthy, it's not healthy. I'm not loved. I'm not feeling myself. I'm not treated the way in which I would like to be treated and also the way in which you guys would like for me to be treated. So we see it all the time where women get into relationships and they distance, they distance themselves from people who care about them. And like, they just become so intertwined and so caught up in that relationship to where you kind of lose yourself. But let's continue. I pushed away. I wasn't having it. So when it came to that relationship ending, like, did you end it or did he end it? I ended it because I was like, okay, yeah, I'm starting to catch on now. Maybe it's because because Mm -hmm. I was at the point where I was like, okay, yeah, this is a repeat of something else. Mm -hmm. And I can't believe it took me two years to realize this. So let me just sit down with him. And I spoke with him. I sat, I remember sitting, um, on the college campus in the parking lot with him in the car. And I asked him, okay, let me ask you. I feel like I never did it. And I should have mm-hmm. from the moment I met you after all this time, did you ever even consider us going beyond whatever this was? And his answer was blatantly Tina. If I ever wanted to go anywhere with you beyond this, it would have happened a long time ago. Mm. So, so why did he still stay with you? Was it like a sense of power or did he not answer that that question? I didn't even bother. My response at that time was, okay, let me just hop out, out of this car and never, ever meet this guy ever again. Like, yeah. I don't even need closure. I don't need an explanation. I don't need to know if he was on a power high. It's not healthy for me to stay. It's not. But like I said, at least you realize that because, I mean, two years seems like a long time, but at least you were able to walk away because some people stay longer than that and they end up being killed, sadly. So the fact that, you know, you that you were able to realize that even after two years, like you know, you walked away, you learned. And it seems like as if you became a way better person since then to where now you're more aware, you know, you can help your sister out. You know, you like you just have a better understanding of what to look for and what to walk away from if you're not being treated, you know, the way you believe you should be. Most definitely. Um, it is sad, you know, seeing other women having to stay longer than they should. Um, and I've had a couple of feedback on that. I had a coworker that went through that too. And she stated that sometimes people will get so comfortable in all that abuse and all that toxic environment that they just refuse to get out. You're right. It's tough. <laughs> all right. But thank you though. I go- um, Let's clap it up right there for Tina, man. Again, that was an interview I did with my friend, Tina. This was about three or four months ago. And like, I kind of kept and held on to it and, I'm glad I did because that part of the interview, it it goes so well with the theme of this month, which is surviving trauma. Now, before I end this episode, man, um, you guys can go to to um, thehealthy.com and they have an article on there entitled How to Leave an Abusive Relationship, 18 Expert Tips. Now, these are some great tips, man, and I want to read some of these for you guys because... I know a lot of y'all, a lot of you guys not going to go to the website, but it says what what is an abusive relationship because we say it all the time, oh your relationship is abusive. Oh, that relationship is toxic. It's volatile. But what 
exactly is an abusive relationship. Now, it says every minute, nearly 20 people in the U.S. suffer from some kind of physical abuse, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That is a nonprofit advocacy group in Denver. This could include everything from slapping to shoving, burning, beating, even strangling. And while abuse is an equal opportunity crime for both both sexes, typically women are the ones who are more likely to be victims of what they call severe intimate violence. One in four women versus one in nine men experience severe physical or sexual violence or stalking. And it's not just physical injuries either. Relationships can also be emotionally destructive. Researchers have found that roughly half of Americans have reported being emotionally abused by their partner over their lifetimes. And that is according to a study in 2018 in violence and victims. Usually one type of uh, one type of abuse leads to another in domestic situations, domestic violence, where physical abuse, there's usually emotional or mental abuse that follows those situations or they are encompassed in one. Now, again, one thing you guys have to realize is that you don't deserve abuse. Now, it says one thing that is clear. Whatever type of abusive relationship that you are in, you don't deserve it. Another important thing is the abuser is not going to change. A lot of people fall under the mistaken belief that they can somehow help this person become a better person. If they are an abuser, that is just what they are. And you need to get far away from them. Now, some people say, you know, how can I do that? What are some of the steps I should take? It says the hallmarks of an abusive relationship. There's a pattern. Experts look for repeat offenders, whether it be domestic violence and physical or emotional relationships. But it says, hold on, physical abuse is easier to recognize. That's when a person is intentionally hurting you to the point of injury or even threatening to kill you. Emotional abuse, on the other hand, can be anything when there's deception, there's power and control, there's dominance over the other person, or someone is regularly devalued, disrespected, Diminished or deceived Abusers (laughs) They love to use Psychological weapons like humiliation And fear to isolate Or punish you in some way They don't even recognize that What they are doing hurts you And Anyone else They'll recognize that It's a lack of development In their own personality They can't understand that other people have different wants, needs, desires than they do. And in this case, in regards to what I just said, it's going to repeat itself. Now, abuse is normally one sided. One partner has all the power. Abuse partners dole out money or make you ask for it because they are totally in charge of your bank accounts. We've seen that before where. That's why I tell women, do not be relying on another man for everything. Because some will use that 
to control you. If you threaten to leave, they'll they'll say, you know what? If you leave, you ain't getting no more money. And it's going to make you stay because you think about, oh, if I leave, then my finances are gone. So do not let a man control you for money. And a lot of men make you consistently check in with them. Or worse, they know all your whereabouts because they installed the GPS tracker in your car or monitoring you via Apple Watch or smartphone. So I say these things to let you guys know that it is okay to realize that your situation is not the best and you can leave. Another step it says here is your partner Sometimes they are hot and cold. Abusive partners, they are not nasty all the time. It's a cycle of abuse. And there's a phase where they're acting nice, buying flowers, and saying and doing the right things. But that can be done in a second as soon as they feel threatened. Relationships, I repeat right here, relationships are not made to be a cat and mouse chase. It's not. It's not. I repeat, relationships are not made to be a cat and mouse chase. Now, some of you guys say, okay, I hear what you're saying. So how can I leave? And and again, this article on thehealthy.com, they say step one is to prepare yourself emotionally. Prepare yourself. Another reason why people don't leave, they place an inaccurate and overwhelming amount of power in this other person. This person can control my life, my money, how I see my friends, whether I see my family, how we raise our kids. So they have to realize that, well, you have to realize that those things are false. People who are able to walk away from an abusive partner, they are often able to create a narrative so they can see what is really going on. Like you have to understand That again there's a problem It's okay to leave And you have to realize that your partner Won't change It is common to make excuses For your partner Many of these women feel like Well if only I can get him to therapy Or If only he would just deal with his anger Then we'll be okay Like Do not take low hanging fruit About the relationship Like cheating Gambling, anger issues, these type of things, because that'll make you less likely to leave. Instead, it says you have to identify what you can and can't control so you can understand the patterns that it's a serious problem. And again, hold on. Oh, this is a big point. It says be ready to grieve. That, that is what I was mentioning earlier You have to be ready Because you, when you leave You're going to be sad Especially depending on how long You were with this person It says of course You know getting the courage to leave Is one thing You also need to tell yourself that you can survive Without your mate And strengthen yourself So that you don't go back also crucial, being prepared for pain and grieving because it is a loss of a relationship. No matter how painful that relationship is, be prepared that you are going to miss that partner. But don't go back. Now, 
there's a lot more that we'll follow up next week, as well as more conversations with the woman about what you can do to leave, what you should do if you feel yourself wanting to go back. Because, like, if you leave the situation and you block somebody, don't go back. A lot of people block somebody, yet yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm blocking them. I ain't going back no more. But then you get curious. What is that person doing? Do they miss me? So you unblock them, and now you guys rekindle, and they promise they're going to change. They got help. Oh, baby, I, I saw the lady. Like, men always say that shit. Baby, you know, I went to, I went to talk to the lady, and I'm good now. No, he's he not good. That's the same motherfucker. Don't let him. He lying. Ooh, you a lie. Again, he lying. Ooh, you a lie. And again, we're going to continue this conversation next week, but stay tuned in to the LCP Lunchroom Chatter Podcast. Let your friends know, especially the woman. And if any of you guys want to come on during this um, surviving trauma segment, you guys want to step in, you guys want to tell your story, or even send a voicemail about a story that you got out of. You guys can click the link in the description of this episode. I believe it says click to send the voicemail. You can make the voicemail as long as you want. You can send as many as you want. Tell your story. This is your boy John A. Schultz. Lunchroom Chatter Podcast. Again, stay tuned. Surviving Trauma Month. It's not over. Also got a bonus dropping on Lunchroom Chatter Plus where I talk to Queen Eve about a lot of regular shit going on on social media, man. Kanye West, Chris Brown, the, the crate challenge that finally finished up. It's a lot of shit I want to talk about, man. But this month is dedicated strictly to those surviving trauma. Love you guys. Be safe. It's John A. Schultz. Checking out. Checking out.